just had a birthday. That's why this uh, this is coming out a little bit late, which uh, sometimes I'll sometimes I'll put out a podcast a little later than I had planned, and I don't usually mention it because um, I don't feel that I'm accountable to anyone listening. Uh, I'm accountable to me. And if I fail myself and my own expectations, I don't need to apologize to any of you about it. It only hurts me if I don't keep a regular schedule. And I do try to keep a regular schedule. Um, So uh, I'm not sorry. I decided to take the weekends and uh, be lazy. <laughs> it does hurt me if I don't keep a reg- regular schedule. That is true. You know, if I uh, if I get a, a bit of an audience, I get some regular listeners, you know, you expect, you know, to get a weekly or whatever whatever time period I set. You, you expect that if you enjoy listening to me ramble. I know I do it with the podcasts I listen to if uh, Kurt Metzger does not put out his podcasts on time. I get annoyed. (laughs) I do get annoyed. So I understand it does hurt me, but uh, I'm only going to apologize to myself. Anyway, I had a birthday. I'm not going to mention if I'm late again (laughs) on a podcast. Uh, what kind of cake did I have? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I had a great cake. Was it an intricately layered, flourless, gluten-free cake that contributed to making the world a more tolerant place? Kill yourself. The world is ending. This might be my last birthday cake. I may have reached peak candles, peak number of candles on my cake. Do you think for one second that I would want what is potentially my last birthday cake on this earth to be some Jose Andre British Bake Off abomination? I had a carrot cake. I had a simple classic carrot cake with cream cheese icing or frosting. I don't know if there's a difference. Complete with absurd fake sugary carrots on top. Those ones you can't wait to eat because they look delicious. You go, oh, I want to eat that. That neon orange nuclear sugary carrot facsimile. You, You can't wait to eat it. You see it, it hits your retina, goes straight to your brain, and your id just takes over. And you become like a slavering sugar vampire. You want to shove all those fake carrots in your mouth first. And then when you do, you immediately regret it. And then you end up scraping the rest of them off and leaving them on your plate because they make you a little nauseous. That kind of cake. It was great. I will be goddamned if I let Jose Andre ruin what may very well be my last birthday.
I truly hope every celebrity chef catches the COVID. Catches the COVID at their favorite tattoo parlor while they're getting their fucking sleeve finished. And then they all drown in their own fluids. Jose Andre first. I went to Iceland a couple years ago. Um, it seems like a rough segue, like a non sequitur. I'll bring it back around. I went to Iceland a couple years ago, and uh, I, lo- I loved it. Iceland was awesome. Not because it's full of white people. That's not the reason why I liked it. <laughs> I liked Iceland because uh, well, I grew up in Germany, and uh, even though I'm an American... Um, I'm American born abroad. I don't have a birth certificate. I have a certificate of birth abroad. Um, meaning I was born to American parents on an American military base. I think I could run for president. I think that counts. Um, but I grew up in Germany and I grew up mostly around Americans, but I was in Europe and my parents had a lot of German friends cause they're cool like that. They like to go to a place and just get into the local scene. Um, and I really, I came back to the States a couple times as a kid, but when I finally came back to the States permanently, America seemed off, like not what I had been taught it was. And it took me a while to realize what it was, but Americans are too fake nice. Because everyone in America is trying to sell you something. So there's this fake smiley friendliness that almost everyone in this country has. And it's, it's like the retail smile. You go into a store and immediately someone who works there comes up in your face. Hi, can I help you? I'm like, Ugh, they don't do that in Europe. Like you show up to a place... They leave you the fuck alone. If you want help, you ask them, and they're helpful. They might be annoyed <laughs> that you're 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 uh, interrupting them at their bullshit job, <clears throat> but they'll help you if you need it. And that's what Iceland was like. And I had forgotten what that was like, so I flew into Reykjavik. I get to my little hotel I was staying at. I go to the front desk. It's like I took a red eye there. So it was like six in the morning when I was rolling up to the hotel room. There was this guy behind the counter, Icelandic guy, and he just looks at me. I roll in and I'm expecting, you know, because I've been in America for so long that like, you know, you're going to fall all over yourself. Like, hey, how are you? We can get your room. Can I get you this? We need your credit card. We need all this. He just looked at me just like, what? And it took me a second. I go, all right, this is Europe, technically. You know, there's the European mentality. Like, what do you want? I'm busy on my phone. Now, in America, Americans find that really, because Amer- some Americans do that too. Um, you go into a retail store and everybody in there could give two shits about you, which is how it should be. You came into their place. But Americans think that's absurdly rude, and then they'll write a bad Yelp Yelp review about it. Iceland, that's par for the course. It was great. I loved it. 
I'm like, yeah. Don't fall all over yourselves. Also, um, that doesn't have anything to do with... I'm going to bring it back around. <laughs> uh, so I ended up... Because I'm like, what the fuck do you eat in Iceland? They had like shitty pizza. Um, kind of like trashy European sandwiches. You know, none of which is... Europe is not famous for... Uh, actually, Europe does have great pizza. But they don't have great pizza in Iceland. Um, it's just like gross, but most pizza in America is disgusting too. Um, but, uh, so I'm like, uh, I asked a tour guide first day I had like this tour, we go see the Northern lights. Um, and then he mentioned he used to be a chef at, uh, I don't know, one of the fancy expensive hotels, uh, before he became like a tour guide. And I was like, all right, what do you guys eat here? What's the best? Where's the best place to go eat? I want to eat what they eat in Iceland. And he's like, all right, you got to go to this restaurant, this particular restaurant, and you got to get the pan fried fish. And I'm not a, you know, I'll eat fish, but I'm not, I don't go out and seek fish. It's like, you know, I don't, I don't go, oh my God, the fish is so good. I got to go there. Uh, so I'm like, cool. Went in Rome. I went to this uh, restaurant. I think it was called just called Old Iceland. And I went in, ordered this pan-fried ling, which I'd never heard of ling. It's like a fish they got up, you know, up north. Uh, I Googled it. It looks like a fucking monster fish. Um, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to get this pan-fried ling. And then uh, they bring it out. It's in a cast iron skillet. It's breaded, like lightly breaded in the cast iron pan with like these little potatoes, um, some vegetables, and then they throw a bunch of salad on top, just like raw spinach and arugula and shit. Just throw that on top, uh, all cooked in the same pan, swimming in butter. I like the pan is like half full of butter and it was awesome. It was fucking awesome. So then, every, I was there for like five nights. Every night uh, or every day, I'd go out on a different tour. I'd go out on the glacier, go to the volcano, do whatever. Just doing all the Iceland shit. And Iceland, you know, you got to drive. You get in like this souped up Mercedes four-wheel drive truck thing. And then they'll take it on the glacier and you go snowmobiling or hiking or ice climbing. Whatever the hell you're going to do. Um, and then you come back. So it's a full day. Like it's, you got to drive out there a couple hours, spend six or eight hours out there doing the thing. And then you drive a couple hours back. Um, and I get back to the hotel about eight ish. And then I'd walk straight to downtown Reykjavik. Um, Reykjavik is not that big, so you can mostly walk everywhere. Um, and then Every night, I'd go to a different restaurant and order the same thing, <laughs> order the same pan-fried fish. And it was great at every place until the last fucking night. I go to this place, I order the pan-fried fish, and I'm excited, and they bring it out, and it's some fucking, like, Jose Andre deconstructed tower of fish potatoes, vegetables, you know, something you see on Top Chef. It looked cool. It tasted good. And I was fucking annoyed. 
this is not, I didn't come to Iceland. If I wanted this shit, I'd stay in DC. I didn't go to Iceland to have Jose Andre ruin another meal for me. Jose Andre should fucking die. He ruined food. Ruined food. Food. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I think he's one of the few celebrity chefs who has not been uh, (laughs) castrated by Me Too. It's coming, though. His time is coming. Uh, What else is new? Herman Cain died. R.I.P. Herman Cain, the Prince of Pizza. Does Black Lives Matter apply to, uh, to Herman Cain? Can I say like R.I.P. Herman Cain, hashtag Black Lives Matter? What's that? Fuck Herman Cain. I mean, that seems harsh. You're glad he's dead? What about Black Lives Matter? Are you telling me that not all Black Lives Matter? Just the Black Lives you happen to agree with, huh? I mean, when you say Black Lives Matter, it kind of implies that all Black Lives Matter. Otherwise, you have to qualify it by saying some Black Lives Matter. Social and economic equity is a central tenet of the Black Lives Matter movement and saying that some black lives, in fact, don't matter, like Herman Cain's, that the nation and the world is better off without certain specific black lives, like Herman Cain, it pretty much negates the whole movement. Because if black lives do matter, which I think they do, then every black life matters. If some lives matter more than others, regardless of color, then we are edging dangerously close to meritocracy. And as we all know, meritocracy is racist. I've been having this conversation a lot this week with uh, all my Hillary voting clients, and it has been a lot of fun. Because a bunch of them were actually happy Herman Cain died. Like, Herman Cain might as well have been Idi Amin. These are progressive Democrats whose identities are largely based on seeing themselves as good people. I hear that a lot from them. I'm a good person. He's a good person. Oh, you're a good person. Really obsessed with the idea of being a good person. And they're happy that some guy they don't know died. (laughs) I'm neutral. I don't really care. You know, I didn't know that dude. Didn't know that dude. Never voted for him. Thought he was amusing in kind of a ridiculous kind of way. But the only crime that Herman Cain committed that I'm aware of is making shitty pizza. And that is a crime against humanity, but it's one all Americans are guilty of. I'm having a lot of fun making fun of the left right now. Like, it's more fun than in the old days when I used to make fun of people on the right, you know, like who believed in intelligent design. 
that old chestnut or that back in the 80s when they said Dungeons and Dragons was a tool for worshiping Satan. I mean, those were fun days. But at a certain point, coming down on the religious right kind of felt like beating up on a retarded kid. Like, it's fun, but you do feel dirty afterwards. But now, the left has gotten... And maybe they've always been this way. I've just really been realizing it since Trump got elected. But, like, the left has gotten so sanctimonious and self-righteous in their church lady sensibilities. Like, they are the new church ladies. And I include myself in that, because... I'm certainly guilty of viewing myself as superior because I believe in climate change. <laughs> like, like I had any input into collecting any of the data to achieve the consensus that, you know, the climate is indeed changing because of man-made activities. <laughs> It's like I'm superior because my football team won because, you know, I didn't have anything to do with actually playing the game, but somehow I'm better than the other city because my team won. Ranting, you know, I, I like ranting about the, the greedy and rapacious Koch brothers ripping every resource they can get out their hands on, just rip it out of the earth and we're just set it all on fire to make our shareholders happy, like... It's a lot of fun to be righteously angry at the Koch brothers. And, you know, when that one Koch brother died, you know, I felt a little bit good about it. <laughs> I'm not, you know, and now I'm like, that's kind of dumb. You know, I'm not really ashamed of it, but I do think that they're kind of uh, not great for the country or the earth, but... What the fuck do I know? What do I know? That's what happens as you get older. By the time you turn 44, hopefully, you start realizing how much you don't know. <laughs> and all these opinions you, you used to take for granted in your 20s and 30s, when you start hearing other people echo them, you kind of start to see the, the, the flaws in your own... Uh, political logic I mean I loved it back in the day not too long ago a couple of years ago I loved it when like an, an anti-gay pro-life conservative got busted with a male escort like that shit made me feel like my IQ went up 20 points except I mean abortion is racist now you know so maybe that guy gets gets the last laugh. That uh, I think he was the governor in New Jersey. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he wins because I just read a bunch of articles this week about how abortion is racist. And if you want to be an anti-racist, according to the tenets of Ibrahim X. Kendi, you have to accept that pro-choice is racist and that rich liberal Democrats have been secretly racist this whole time 
which is true. <laughs> they have been and they are. I slowly realized just over the last 10 years living in D.C. and I never, never really was around, you know, upper middle class and upper class anybody really, but, you know, lefties. Um, you know, up until that point, I'd just been hanging out in the mud with people who dig ditches for a living. Um, yeah, and over the last 10 years, it's I've been very surprised at... Uh, just the uncon, you know, the unconscious racism of rich lefties, you know, which is pretty much what that movie Get Out was mostly about. You know, I recognized a lot of that. I go, yeah, I've uh, I've seen a lot of that in the last ten years. Um, also, I've been and am still constantly surprised at the bigotry of blacks and Asians, and gays, and transsexuals, and every other group. Everyone's guilty. We're all guilty. I mean, just since I started doing comedy a few years ago, like, the whole, there's serious beef, it seems like, to this straight white dude when I just hang out on the sidelines, and suddenly I'm there. there's beef between blacks and Asians, and blacks and gays. And gays and blacks, a lot of straight, liberal, or not straight, a lot of liberal gay dudes saying a lot of racist shit against blacks. I've noticed, not all of them, just some. And I'm always surprised, I, I, I you know, as the oppressor, <laughs> as I have been identified as, as a member of the oppressor, I, I would assume that all groups who have been marginalized would uh, come together in solidarity, but that is not the case. <laughs> not the case at all. A lot of uh, a lot of black anti-Semitism going on in the last couple of years. A lot of uh, blacks in D.C. who, I mean, I guess in my opinion, don't really know what they're talking about. Sort of identifying with Palestinians and. Uh, you know, kind of outraged about what Israel has done with the Palestinians, which, um, I mean, I don't disagree with. That's, uh, that's kind of a bone of contention I would have with Israel. And then kind of associating Israelis with American Jews, and then suddenly there's, there's a new wave of black anti-Semitism happening, and yeah, this is all very interesting to me. I mean, if you guys want to wanna beat us, beat us straight white dudes you might have to put your beefs aside and uh team up or not i mean the world's all gonna end soon anyway so <laughs> the earth's gonna be simultaneously underwater and on fire and we're all gonna drown in our own fluids but i did get carrot cake i was that was a pretty good cake. I still got some in the freezer. I might have some more tonight. Mostly, I, f I feel bad for, like, my grandma clients, my uh, my older boomer liberal ladies. You know, they're, like, they're really sweet, kind of ex-hippies. And they, they just want everyone to be nice. <laughs> Why can't everyone be nice to each other? <laughs> and now they've got these these young progressive kids calling them racist. And they're like, no. No, my nephew's black. No. 
<laughs> I think now they're just keeping busy in their gardens. They're just in their garden, keeping their head down. I'd say if the left is a snake that's eating its own tail, it's just got to the body with abortion as racist. Like, what do you do when the two biggest political items on your platform, election cycle after election cycle, are at odds? Your two biggest points, at least since I've been alive, Democrats are for not being racist, also they're pro-choice, and now those two are not compatible with each other. I don't know. What do you do? What's your next platform? What is Biden's platform going to be? I guess one of those things has got to go. Um, and this year, race and race relations are uh, they're on they're on the rise again. They're they're cresting. And uh, I guess, yeah, a year, maybe two years ago, everyone was concerned about abortion because a bunch of states in the South were basically making it illegal. Um, nobody cares about that this year. Now, it's all about race and equality. So I think abortion's just going to have to go <laughs> for Biden's platform. I don't know. I don't know if he can have both. I don't know if he can afford to have that dissension in the ranks this kind of this seems like a symptom over the last 20 years of all the universities kind of systematically purging all their conservative faculty you know which you know 10 20 years ago i'm like good fuck those guys get them out but now it's really like they're gone. You know, they've been kind of driven out. So once your enemy is defeated, all that's left to do is go to war with your allies. You know, the U.S. and Soviet Union, we we team up to fight the Nazis. Once the Nazis are gone, it's Cold War time. Decades of Cold War time. Not too long ago, the right was eating itself in the form of the Tea Party. And that seemed like the end of the world <laughs> just seven, eight years ago. You know, and it was like, it was an absurd and crazy time for the time. Now it seems like nothing, but it was, it was absurd and crazy because the Tea Party were clearly idiots. They were clearly dumbasses. Usually American politics is like old white dudes come from money. They all went to the same fancy schools or, or maybe they went to rival fancy schools. Like anyone's supposed to give a shit about some beef between Harvard and Yale. Like, you know, we're supposed to identify with that. And then they would argue over interpretations of history and economics and constitutional law. And both parties would make compelling arguments and empty promises and would fundamentally appeal to their donors. And then the Tea Party came along, funded largely by the Koch brothers, 
and they appealed directly to underserved, poorly educated whites who were tired of rich liberals talking down to them. And also me talking down to them. I was not a rich liberal. I was just a poor liberal. (laughs) Still a poor liberal. I didn't understand at the time that rich liberals also don't give a shit about poor liberals. (laughs) Just like rich conservatives don't really give a shit about the working class conservatives. Rich liberals don't either. Um, I learned that... I learned that rich liberals didn't really give a shit about me after I got out of the army and went to college and got raped for six years by Sally Mae. Speaking of colleges are opening in the fall. Um, The majority are going to hold classes online. I think all of them are going to be at least partially online. And the schools that offer actual classes that you can go to in person will pretty much immediately shut down and move to fully online because students and teachers and also the vast army of useless bullshit administration staff that populates every university, they're all going to catch the COVID and then those schools are going to have to lock down. Also inevitably, all of these schools have increased tuition again this year even though they're all going to be online also because they have to pay all the bullshit admin staff although now I'm thinking about it probably just the students and teachers will get infected because the useless parasitic administrators who outnumber the actual professors they're probably going to work from home Like, they have useless office jobs. So, they don't actually have to be in the office for that. They'll be fine. Tragically, they'll be fine. All your non-executive deans and vice presidents of whatever, everyone who doesn't actually teach a class but somehow works at the university, they're going to be fine. They'll be the last ones standing complaining that their standing desks aren't ergonomic enough and then scrambling to find a way to justify their jobs now that all the teachers and students are dead. That's going to be a tough job for them because how do you push for diversity and equity when everyone's dead? Like death is the great equalizer. How do you get more equal than that? I know. Death is racist. That's how you do it. Boom. I just did your bullshit job for you. Just say death is racist and we have to get rid of death. And now you can have a bullshit admin job in a university with no teachers and no students. Also, if college is online, how are all these kids going to sexually assault each other? I'm sure they'll figure it out. There's got to be a way. I mean, the kids these days, they're good with the technology shit. So probably by this time next year, there's going to be at least three national news making stories of Zoom rape. 
Zoom will be dragged through the headlines and as a bastion of white nationalist rape culture. We should have just gone to war with Iran back when we had the chance. <laughs> Remember that? What was that, February? January? Oh. Looked like we might be going to war with Iran. Like, I bet if we had gone to war with Iran, like, COVID would have never happened. Just wouldn't have been a thing. So... I don't know how long it was ago. A couple podcasts ago, I mentioned that if uh, you were having hard economic times because of all this, that the army might be a good option for you. And uh, that's still true. But also, I would say if you're in the military now and you're thinking about getting out and you think like, it's a bad idea because the economy sucks and there's a pandemic and all that. And maybe you should reenlist for another couple of years. I would say don't like you should get out now. I got, I got out of the military when the economy was supposedly booming. Although the economy hasn't been booming. It's never boomed for me. <laughs> That's the big lie of the American economy. We somehow we think, and it's just starting to more and more people are realizing that like, oh, the stock market has nothing to do with the actual economy. Um, and we should stop using it as a benchmarker. Um, like wages have not gone up in 30 years or longer. But I got out of the military when the economy was supposedly good and then by the time I finished undergrad and grad school, that was right when the housing market crashed. So I never really got to take advantage of the pre-2008 bubble. <laughs> so I would say that if, if you're like kind of on the verge of enlisting now and you don't really want to, but you're, you're, you know, you're scared, it's scary out here. You know, the military, it's funny because civilians will think the military is like this insanely hard, dangerous occupation. It's really a cush gig. It's like, it's pretty easy. Most people, most people in the military have a bullshit admin job anyway. Most people wear shoes to work and not boots. Um, but... Even if you're in a combat gig, you don't have bullets whizzing by your head all the time. Like, that's that's few and far between. Um, so, by and large, the military is a pretty safe, cushy thing because everything's taken care of. It's annoying because, like, you got rules and regulations and, you know, you, you got to wear certain things at certain times. Like, those chafe at you a bit. I didn't really enjoy those, but you get used to it. It's not the biggest deal in the world. Um, and like, you're never going to be homeless. Your kids are never going to be homeless. You've got health care. Your family's got health care. You got dental. Like, it's a full-on communist utopia in the American military. 
And then when it comes time to get out, it's, it's scary. You don't know, like, how do I pay my rent? How do I pay my mortgage? What do I, what do, I do with my, how do my kids get health care? You have no idea how any of that works. <clears throat> I didn't see a doctor for like 15 years when I got out of the military. Uh, mostly because I didn't know how. <laughs> I had no idea. And at a couple points, I did have like some shitty insurance, but I didn't know how to use it. Like, that's not how the healthcare system works in the military. You just show up to sick call. Um, and not that military healthcare is great, but it's there and it's easy to use. I mean, if you have a real problem, you have to keep going back and keep going back to like, they'll run a bunch of tests and they'll probably like, like kind of like shake you off the first couple times and like not take you seriously. They'll just give you some like, give you some pain meds or something, tell you to go fuck off or go on light duty. And if you got something serious, like you're going to have to go back a couple times before they start really running tests. But then I'm learning that's how it is in the real world. They do the same goddamn thing in the civilian world. Um, my girlfriend's got some like stomach issues she's been trying to do with for years. And it's only recently like she's finally getting all the tests that she's been needed. Because you go to a doctor and they just say like, uh, eh, take this pill. And then you, they take the fuck off. So there was this myth in the military that like civilian health care was, was so much better than military health care. And it is not. It's probably worse. It's totally not better. Um, but I would say if you're thinking about getting out of the military, I would do it now. Because by the time you get out and you get set up, and this is, I guess, if you're kind of doing my path, like you're getting out and going to school, um, by the time you get out of school, the economy is going to be on the rise again, unless the world just ends, in which case it doesn't matter. <laughs> Do you want to spend your last few years still shining your boots? I mean, if you do, that's cool. If not, and the world's going to end anyway, then fuck it. Just get out. Um, so if you're getting out and you're already got like a job lined up and yeah, do that. But if you're getting out and you're like, well, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to study something. Um, I wouldn't put it off because it's not like I don't see anything. And this is assuming you had my mentality. Like there's not going to be any cool wars in the next couple of years, I don't think. Like, that's what I would stick around for if I got to go blow shit up. But I don't think, you never know. But that doesn't seem likely. Um, like, who are we going to go at war with at this point? Unless you're in, like a, like, a special operations unit, you know, then you're, you're definitely going to be doing shit. Um, but if you're just in a regular unit, yeah, get the fuck out. Go to school. There are things... Um, there are some things you should know when you get out. Uh, the most important thing being is that nobody gives you shit <laughs> about what you did. Nobody cares. There, there. At least when I got out, there was a big, you know, for years, for decades, support the troops, support the troops. But uh, people don't really care about that anymore. And then they didn't care anyway, even when they said they did. They really don't care. Um, 
nobody even really understands what the military is. Uh, mostly because there's no draft. Uh, like being drafted and going through basic training or like serving in the military during like World War II or Korea or Vietnam, like that was kind of a, a national experience. And then there were more, there were more people on the outside who had shared at least some of that experience and had a sense of what it was. But now everything's so professional. I mean, that's kind of the downside of having a fully volunteer professional army, which is better than what we had before. But not that I'm saying that there should be a draft because that'd be a fucking nightmare. Um, but the downside is that nobody out in the civilian world... They they don't get it. They don't understand. They don't know what it is. They don't really know how professional it is, how technical it is, um, how most people in the military are, you know, a decade ahead of most of their peers as far as just competency level, just on a basic ability to work and produce and get shit done. Um yeah, they don't really get it. Uh, some of them will just think, oh, you just hang out and mow lawns. Or, like, you just peel potatoes all day like Beetle Bailey. <laughs> uh, that was my one of my regrets getting out of the military is I never actually peeled a potato. <laughs> That's not a thing. Uh, no, now you just eat fucking fake powdered potatoes <laughs> at the fucking mess hall. Um... So yeah, so don't expect anybody to understand what you did or even get it. Um, but really, it's not a whole lot different than a civilian job. And that was the hard part too, was to try, which is really why I failed at getting a real job, even after college, like trying to like create a resume um, to reflect all the skills you had from the military somehow translate that into like civilian language and then have that language be searchable on a search by an HR department. Cause that's really, it. that's a whole skill in itself. And I don't really know how that exists uh, or how that, how anybody gets hired, whether you're the military or not, because everything is done through like an HR department that HR department has no idea what the requirements are for the position they want to fill. All they do is search for keywords in their search engine. So if your resume does not hit those keywords, your resume won't even come up for them to look at. Like that's the first hurdle you got to get through. Um, and trying to translate any military experience you have, like I, uh, when I was writing resumes, I would try to put, well, yeah, I, you know, I was responsible for this number of people. You know, these are like leadership qualities I have. I had a top secret clearance. Um, I regularly jumped out of planes with a couple million dollars of equipment in my backpack that was also classified. It's expensive and it's national security material and I jump out of a plane with it and I was 23 years old when I was doing that. Like... On paper, that sounds 
really, I was just some idiot who signed some papers and they pushed me out of a plane. But on paper, that sounds impressive. <laughs> In real life, I don't know that it's that impressive, but on paper, it sounds great. Like, I would hire me. Um, but how do you put that in bullet points in a resume? I don't fucking know. Um, so expect that's going to be tough. Uh, but I would say if you're getting out, the last thing you want to do is to get out and go work for somebody else. You've already been doing that. Like looking back, I am glad I never got an office job. Um, I was kind of forced to create my own job and it sucked for a while. Like it's a lot of grinding, banging your head against the wall, you know, just, living off your credit card because any income you actually get has to go towards like your rent and car and then groceries and gas. You just, you know, that goes on a credit card and then you max out your credit card and then you have more anxiety and then slowly, you know, you're making enough. You can pay that credit card off. And yeah, that sucked. That, that was a decade of doing that shit. Um, but ultimately I pretty much work for myself uh, I set my own hours. I have flexibility of when I work and when I don't work. Um, yeah. What's the alternative? Be vice president at some fucking company <laughs> that poisons a river in Tunisia. Yeah. So I would encourage you to do that. But that means you have to have a plan. That's a key thing. If you're getting out of the military, you need a plan. Don't get out if you don't have a plan because then you just get out and you fuck around for a couple of years and then you realize that shit's not working for you. And then you go back in the military and now you're what they call a prior service person. And they were always the saddest to me. And a lot of them were cool, but it was all the same story. They did a couple of years in the military. They got out for a couple of years. They were fucking around. They didn't have a plan. And then they're like, well, I guess I should just go back in the military. And then they're fucking lifers. They were always a little sad to me. So have a plan. If you don't have a plan, just stay in. Um, I would encourage you not. And I don't know if it's as, as much of an option now, but when I got out, there was... Uh, a lot of defense contracting opportunities because it was, you know, the height of the Iraq war. Um, so most of the guys I knew who were getting out around the time I got out, like they went to go work for Raytheon or Booz Allen or somebody like that. Um, I ended up after a year or two, I got tired of waiting tables. <laughs> like I did not want to do any of that fucking evil empire defense contracting shit, but also TGI Fridays is also an evil empire. <laughs> and eventually I'm like, well, I can, uh, I can go back to helping my country murder children, or I can keep working at TGI Fridays and give children diabetes. It's like either way, some some kids are going to suffer. Um, so I ended up getting a gig uh, with a friend of mine. And that's really, that's how you get a job. You have to fucking know people. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, you have to know people to get a job. 
Um, so I had a friend of mine who worked at this kind of boutique defense contractor that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and then I was doing like, I was like, it's almost like kind of a teaching gig. So just teaching like, uh, wannabe intelligence operators from like, you know, DIA and NSA and all the, all the three letter, all the three letter agencies. Um, they would, uh, I was like an assistant instructor. So I just worked part time. Um, usually they'd have these, these classes come through however many weeks they, and they had different programs or different classes. Some might be on how to negotiate with a warlord, how to run surveillance and counter surveillance, how to do whatever. So I would help out teaching those classes. Um, and the money was good and the hours were good in the beginning. Um, I would either work four or eight hours and I could choose like, you know, cause I was doing this while I was going to college. Um, and it's surprisingly hard. It's pretty much impossible to do full-time school and a full-time job. Um, so I chose school full-time job part-time. Um, <clears throat> but I'd make between 80, $120 an hour and I'd be guaranteed either four or eight hours a day. Um, and it was great. So I could work maybe 10 hours a month. And then between that and then, uh, the veterans benefits I would get for school, it would, uh, yeah, I was good after that. Um, I still had to take out a bunch of student loans, but you know, what did I care? Now I care cause I'm still paying those student loans, but it was all right. But I didn't really love working for these companies. It's like, they were, uh, I ended up working for probably four different, these little boutique defense contracting agencies. Cause this was the time when, uh, when, uh, like the surge was happening. So I guess, yeah, this is about 2005. So Bush had decided we're going to, we're going to do the surge in Iraq and we're going to win this thing finally. Uh, and there was a lot of money for defense contractors and defense contracting is also a bullshit job. It's most of these companies we're basically stealing money from the taxpayer in the form of providing training. Um, and there was big money in it. So these companies were doing well for a few years. Um, and it was great when I was going to school and I wasn't directly killing any children. So I was like, okay, I'll teach this guy how to conduct surveillance. It's fine. <laughs> I don't, I'm not responsible for what he does with that knowledge after that. Um, or yeah, I'll teach, you know, I'll help teach interrogation. That's fine. Um, what's the worst that can happen? Um, but I didn't love it and I definitely didn't want to do it full time. Uh, well, most of it at a full time, then you have to go back to Afghanistan or Iraq. And I was trying to avoid that, even though just one year in Iraq would have paid for all of my undergrad and grad school at least twice over. <laughs> but that's kind of like volunteering to go to prison for a year. And, uh, if you live, then you get a chunk of money. Um, but I opted not to do that. Cause you know, I was, when I was out, I wanted to be out and I didn't even like that little, that little tether I still had to the, to the defense world. Cause most of these companies, the people working there were like old retired military officers or a lot of retired FBI guys. And they were a couple of them were cool, but most were just fucking tools. 
They were just like Bush era conservative idiots who bitched about welfare queens a lot. And they loved to tell like Obama jokes, which I'd be totally for. I'm down for an Obama joke if it's funny, but they just weren't funny. That was kind of the sad thing is like conservatives were never funny. Their jokes were just kind of like mean, (laughs) which I'm fine if a joke is mean as long as it's also funny, but just because you're mean doesn't make it funny. Um, So I would not recommend getting into that world, although the money is nice, but I don't know what the opportunities are now because right around, I guess, 2008, 2009, pretty much when Obama got in office, um, that the money the money fire hose started turning off and we were winding down in Iraq and Afghanistan and all of these companies that, you know, I was kind of like a, a 1099 contractor for, they would, um, they all ended up selling out to, to the real evil empire, like Dyncor and Booz Allen. So like by the end of it, when I finally quit doing it and started just doing personal training, um, it was, I was like a W2 employee of Dyncor and Booz Allen. And at no point did I ever send in an application to those companies. It's just, I was a 1099 for these smaller companies that got bought out. And then they just absorbed us all in there. And it was maybe six weeks. And I was, you know, that wasn't my main focus. This was like a side gig that I didn't really pay much attention to. I would just put in for different projects. I'm like, oh yeah, I can do. They're like, hey, we need, uh, we might need you for like a Thursday and Friday next week. Are you available? And I'll check out my schedule. I'd be like, oh yeah, I can do that. That'd be, I can do that. Or if I can't, I'd be like, no, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. You're gonna have to get somebody else. Um, but then, yeah, then I was like a W2 employee and they had nothing for me to do. So about once every two weeks, one of them would want me to come into the office and watch a sexual harassment video or an, an ethics, a video on ethics, because both of these companies <laughs> had undergone lots of congressional and Senate investigations into their shady business practices and their toxic work environments. And then I had to watch these videos because they were misappropriating funds. (laughs) And finally, I was just like, no, I just refused. And even though I guess they would pay me, they'd pay me $80 an hour to watch a two hour video. And I kind of needed the money at the time. But eventually I'm like, this is, I can't do this. Because then it was also mandatory. Then it was like, no, you have to come in. And I go, well, I can't come in. I have class. I'm not going to miss class to watch your dumb video. Um, and then it became a thing. And they started trying to like send me little passive aggressive threats, kind of. Like, well, we're going to terminate you. And I said, terminate me, bitch. I never, <laughs> I never signed up to work with you. I don't give a fuck. You think you're doing me a favor? Um, yeah, so I just didn't show up and... Then eventually, weeks later, I get this thing in the mail saying that my employment had been terminated. And yeah, it worked out. <laughs> it worked out great. Like, how are you going to fire me from a job that I never applied for? Get the fuck out of here. So I would say 
if you're thinking about getting out of the military, but you think Corona had kind of ruined all your plans, I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think so, because especially if you're going to school, I would still get out, still go to school. In a couple of years, you know, the economy will start uh, rebounding again. And I would do whatever you could to take advantage of that because, you know, in another decade, the economy is going to come crashing back down. <laughs> so take advantage of everything you can get. Take all the free government money you can get and then hold on to it. Don't spend it. Just hold on to it. <laughs> Convert it to gold or something. Uh, that's my advice after this is my second big recession or depression like just hold on to that shit get all the free money they throw at you and hold on to it um but yeah don't let catastrophic world events interrupt your life goals that's that's the message that's the moral <laughs>